0: You have your Bibles with you this morning. Would you open them, please, to the second gospel? The gospel of Mark, specifically chapter 9. In just a moment, we're going to read three verses. They're all the same. When somebody says something once, we ought to pay attention. When somebody says something twice, we ought to pay more attention. When somebody says something three times we ought to pay more and more and more attention, particularly when that person speaking is the Son of the living God, Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 9, 44, 46, and 48. When you found it, look up here at me. In our sermon series, an expose of the 21st century church, We've been talking about foundations. Foundations. What a building is built on. What a church is built on. What individual lives are built on. A foundation is highly important. That's why Jesus spent a lot of time in the greatest sermon he ever preached. In Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, it's called the Sermon on the Mount. Talking about how we should build our lives and what foundation we should build them on. You can put a 10 cent building on a million dollar foundation and it will last. But you can put a million dollar building on a 10 cent foundation and it will collapse. And great will be the fall. The foundation of the church is truth. Sound doctrine, scriptural doctrine, stable doctrine. Doctrine, truth, is the foundation on which the church will stand. That's why Satan, in the last days, he knows his time is running out, so he's in a hurry. And one of the things he's doing to the church is undermining, eroding the foundation of the church by taking away doctrine. His demons and his human cronies have joined their hands to tell the church bad doctrine or no doctrine is what we need. So far in our series, we've seen how the modern church has taken the blood out of the cross. We've sanitized, we've marginalized, and we have glamorized the cross. We've made the cross something that is entertainment value, but not something that can save or something that can change. A bloodless cross. We've stripped the Bible of its truthfulness and its trustworthiness. There are those who will tell us that it's nothing but fake news, false information, fantasy, fable. You can't trust the Bible. It's unreliable, they tell us. We've changed the Lord Jesus from Creator, Savior, Lord, and God to bow, buddy, baby, teacher, or martyr. We've humanized the deified Christ. We've made him like us, that we might be able to be like him. We have made salvation into an intellectual acknowledgement and a rote prayer. Prayer. Salvation that requires no surrender, no sanctification, no repentance, no change, no transformation. Just intellectually believe and say this prayer and you're home free. We turn the church from being a place of compassion to being a place of show business. No longer do we save, no longer do we heal, no longer do we deliver. But we'll give you a heck of a show. And that's what we've looked at so far. And ladies and gentlemen, because of such bad doctrine or no doctrine coming into the church, Tom Rainer and others who have their finger on the pulse of the modern church, Tell us that upwards to 90%, nine out of every 10 churches across America, no matter the name, no matter the place, no matter the size, no matter the pastor, no matter the choir, are sick, dying, or dead today. And I submit to you if something doesn't change and change quickly, I don't know what church our children and grandchildren will have. If they'll even have a church. That's how bad it is. This morning I'm speaking on a subject that brings me no joy. It brings me no happiness. But it's a subject that needs to be preached on. It's part of our doctrine. It's part of the truth. It's part of what's been eroded away. From the foundation by which we stand. I'm speaking this morning on an unreal hell. An unreal hell. Because there's many voices in the pulpit today saying that hell's not real. There's many people sitting in laity positions, just like you, that said hell is not real. We have some who teach in seminaries who say hell is not real. Well, Jesus begs to differ with them. Mark chapter 9, beginning with verse 44, the context is hell. Always keep things in context. Jesus is talking about hell, and in verse 44, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Wow. Verse 46, where the worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Verse 48, where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Hell, Jesus knew of it. In fact, can I let you in on a little secret? He made it. Jesus made hell. He made everything. Why did he make hell? He made it for Satan. He made it for the demons. It was made to be a prison for those angelic beings who chose to rebel against him. But sadly... It's also become an eternal prison to those that the Lord never wanted to be there. And that's men and women, teenagers and boys and girls who reject His salvation and go their own way. Hell. What are people saying about hell today? hearing a lot of different voices an atheist said of hell this i quote the idea of hell was born out of revenge and brutality on one side and cowardness on the other side this atheist says i have no respect for any man who preaches it they're sadistic or they're a coward he goes on to say A Hollywood entertainer. Great theology comes out of Hollywood. Amen? (laughs) This is what he says. He says about hell, he said, I can take the heat and quite frankly, I look forward to being there with all my rowdy friends. Five seconds after he dies, he'll change his tune. A theologian. Someone who studies the Bible, oftentimes teaches seminarians or others. A theologian said this. God is a God of love. And to suggest that God would send or could send someone to hell is nothing but hate speech. A denominational leader said of hell, We have chosen to reject this teaching in our churches and to deny its existence because it's not compatible with modern-day thinking. The George Barna Research Group, a very respected research group who polls Americans on secular and religious matters, recently said in a poll that 60% of the people of this country, be they outside the church or in the church, do not believe in a literal hell. What's even sadder is over 50% of men who call themselves ministers question the reality of hell. A well-known television preacher with a big smile talking about hell, said this. This is what he said. While I believe in hell personally, it's a topic that offends many people. It is for that reason I choose not to ever mention it. Now, these statements and these polls pretty much capsulize and summarize what our secular society and modern-day church believe about the subject of hell. The secularists laugh about it. And let me say, you can laugh your way to hell, but you won't laugh your way out. And the religionists dismiss it, believing somehow that if you say it does not, it's not real that it will go away on its own. Folks, if I told you I don't believe there's any cars in the driveway, when you walked out of this church at 12 o'clock, would you see all the cars gone? No. Just because you believe something or wish something away doesn't mean it's going to happen. A chaplain reported for duty. And a Christian soldier said, Sir, do you believe in hell? The chaplain responded, No, I do not. The soldier said to him, Sir, with all due respect, would you please resign your position? If there is no hell, we do not need you. And if there is a hell, you're going to mislead a lot of people. Wow. Let me go on record this morning. As your pastor and tell you, I believe that hell is a real place. I believe it's filled with real people who once lived in this world just like you and I. Some were pagans. Some were religionists. Some were people in between. Some were adults. Some were teenagers. Some were little boys and girls. But they all had one thing in common at some point when given an opportunity to give their life to Jesus, they said no. They neglected it. They rejected it. And now they have perished. And oh, how they would give anything if they could sit where you're at right now. But they can't. Death seals it. Are you listening to me? Death seals it. What you do with Jesus in this life will determine what He will do with you in the next. I believe in hell because Jesus believed in it. And He preached on it, by the way. The most loving man of God, because He was the Son of God, Jesus, who's ever walked this earth. He loved people. And He loved them enough to tell them the truth. We love people, we'll tell them the truth. We'll tell them the truth in the pulpit. We'll tell them the truth in small groups. We'll tell them the truth in Sunday school. We'll tell them the truth in discipleship classes. And we'll tell them the truth in a very nice way when we witness to them. To deny hell is to call Jesus a liar. And I believe it's to show no compassion and concern on people that are lost. I want to take you back 18 years for just a moment. I'd like to take you back to September 10, 2001. September 10, 2001. Suppose you were given some information some information that came from a highly reliable person that America was going to be Pearl Harbor again, that some radical, crazed Muslim terrorists have targeted our country for massive damage and casualties to the American people. On September 10th, you're given the day. It will be tomorrow. You're given the time of the three simultaneous attacks. You're given the names of the ones who will perpetrate these acts. You're given the strategy of how they're going to get on those planes and what they're going to do when they get on the plane. You're given the serial numbers of the planes that they're going to get on, the ID numbers. You're given the way in which they're going to do what they're going to do. You're given all the information. You've got it. September 10th, 2001. And yet you tell nobody. You say nothing. You say nothing. I say nothing. It's too negative. It, it's too hateful. It's too frightening. It's too unpopular. It's too outrageous. I'm not going to say nothing. Let me ask you a question. Could somebody hang you up for high treason on September 12th? They should. You and I had that kind of information that could have saved somebody's life sure ought to use it. You and I have information about the eternal destiny of men. And for whatever reasons, I'm sure they're all good reasons, they're always good reasons, we say nothing. We just keep it to ourselves and watch our parents and our brothers and our sisters and our children and our grandchildren and our aunts and our uncles and our nieces and our nephews and everybody we care about just continue on the path that's going to lead to death and destruction. In our time remaining, I'd like to share with you four truths about this place called hell. place that we need to believe in, we need to understand what it's about, and we need to use to be a motivation to go out and tell others that we love, that we don't want them to go there. In Mark chapter 9, we see, first of all, that hell is a place of endless torment. Endless torment. Notice Jesus says, The worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Second time he says it. The worm dieth not, the fire is not quenched. Third time he says it. Where the worm dieth not, and the fire is not quenched. Somehow, people get the idea that hell is some eternal nightclub where if you go there, you're going to party eternity away. That you're going to sit at a table with like-minded people and you're going to cuss and fuss. You're going to drink and dance and gamble and flirt the night away for all eternity. Just like that Hollywood actor, that Hollywood entertainer, said, I'm going to go there and have a party with all my rowdy friends. Ladies and gentlemen, that's nothing but a fantasy hell. The reality of the real hell is that it's a fiery furnace and it's a garbage dump. A fiery furnace where those who go there will face the blazing fires of hell and they'll feel the pain of the blazing fires but their, whatever body they have, it will never be consumed. Can you imagine holding your hand over a fire, and the fire burns and burns and burns, but the skin is never consumed, it just has the pain. A fiery furnace to blazing flames that scorches and burns but never consumes. A garbage dump of maggots. For those of you who haven't had lunch yet, which is most of you, I'm sorry. But the word worms translates maggots. Hell is a place where Those that go there are garbage, and the maggots eat at them, but never consume them. Can you imagine those little worms on a carcass eating away? And you go back the next day, they're eating away. You go back a week later, a month later, a year later, they're still there eating away, but the carcass never disappears. Jesus said hell is that. It's a prison of torment for those who chose to follow the devil and his demons, for those who chose to rebel against the Most High God, for those who rejected a salvation that could have saved them and they didn't want it. Hell is a place... Of endless torment. I wish I could tell you, though, secondly, that's the worst of it, and that's bad. But it's not. You know what I believe the worst part of hell is? It's the haunting memory. The haunting memory. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells the story of a man who was a man of the world. He ate, he drank, and he was merry until the day he died. He grabbed for all the gusto he could when he was alive. He had no time for God. He had no time for the Lord. He had no time for holiness or righteousness. He just lived life for himself. He worshipped himself. By the way, everybody worshipped something. You say, Pastor, I'm an atheist. No, you're not. You worship something. This man worshiped himself. But he died, as you know in the story. And it says that when he died, he went to a place called hell in that day. And the Bible says he remembered. Now think about that. He remembered. He remembered. What did he remember, I wonder? He remembered his life on earth. He remembered all the people, all the places, all the things that consumed his life on earth. Ladies and gentlemen, listen to me carefully. One of the worst things about hell is not the fire that burns but never consumes. It's not the maggots that eat but never consume. The worst thing about hell is... You have a memory that remembers all the different people, all the different times that somebody tried to tell you about Jesus and you blew them off. You're going to remember a mother's prayers, a mother in the bedroom at night praying for your salvation. You're going to remember that. You didn't care. You're going to remember a father's pleas as he talked to you about changing your ways, giving your life to Jesus, and how you pushed him aside. You're going to remember that love story track that somebody put in your hand and said, Would you just please read it? And you tossed it away. You're going to remember Keith, his songs that he has sung when you visited this church or if you were in this church. You'll remember Him singing to you the gospel. You'll remember me preaching to you, telling you about Jesus. Give your life to Him. And you sat there like this. Didn't care. You'll remember the Holy Spirit going through the congregation, tapping you on the shoulder and saying, He's singing to you He's preaching to you. God's calling you. Would you come? You see, you're going to remember all that. Down here, down here, you may not care, but up there, you'll re- down there, you'll remember. You'll remember it. You'll remember every roadblock God put in your path. Everything that you had to step over or step around to get away from the gospel. somebody was looking for a nightclub called Hell's Nightclub. Appropriate name, I suppose. And they stopped and they asked the man, can you tell me where Hell's Nightclub is? He said, I sure can. Go straight. A half a mile, turn to the right at Calvary Church. You'll go by a huge cross they have in their front yard. And at the end of that road, you'll find hell. You've got to try hard to perish. Because you're going to go by Calvary. You're going to go by a cross. You're going to go over Jesus. That's how much God loves you. He does everything He can to keep you from heading to the dead end of hell a haunting memory, endless torment. Thirdly, a meaningless existence. God loves us so much that when He created us, He created us with a plan and a purpose. You are a creation of God. You're not some monkey's uncle. You are a creation of God. God created you with a plan and purpose in mind. When He saved you, He saved you with a plan and purpose in mind. He just didn't save you to sit in a church. He saved you to worship Him and to witness for Him and to serve Him and to give to Him and to pray to Him and to know Him from His Word. He he saved you for a plan and purpose to make a difference in this world, to put your fingerprints all over people's lives that when you leave this world, you have made a difference. But if you reject the creator, you reject the savior. You reject the plan and purpose they have for your life, and so your life becomes nothing but a meaningless existence. And it will not just be for this life, it'll be for the life to come. An everlasting judgment is what Jesus calls it in Matthew 25:46. No parole, no pardon, no plea bargaining, no probation, no escape. A wasted existence in eternity. If you die and go to hell, you will exist. You will be like a bald eagle, a great majestic bald eagle, put in a parakeet cage. What an existence, a waste of such a species of animal. You'll be like a great white shark put in the bathtub. What a wasted existence for an animal that was made to be in the ocean. You'll be like a racehorse put in a closet instead of on a racetrack running the Kentucky Derby. Just existing wasted existence in eternity where the plan and purpose of God will never be fulfilled in your life. And you will have the desires that you had in this life, but they'll never be fulfilled. You know, the Greeks had a picture of hell. The Greeks were very picturistic people. And their words drew pictures. And a picture of the Greek word for hell would be a thirsty man trying to get a drink with a sieve. Can you imagine that? Dipping the sieve into the water to bring this up to your parched lips, and every time you do, where's the water go? It goes out. The water's there, but you can't drink it because you can't get it into your mouth. The Greeks also pictured a man pushing a boulder up a hill. Hot, sweaty, tiresome, but he got the boulder almost to the top. And every time he almost got it to the top, guess what would happen? It'd roll back down. That's a picture of the Greeks as they thought about hell. Futility, unfulfilled desires, an alcoholic who can't get a bottle of whiskey. A drug addict who can't get no white powder or no juice. A playboy who can't get a woman. A violent person who can't get a victim. A profane person that has no audience to listen to his profanity. A greedy person who can't get no gold or silver. All the passions are there, but they're never before. Meaningless existence, haunting memories, endless torment. Lastly, intense loneliness. Billions of people are there, but you'll never see one of them. You see, hell is a solitary confinement, a place of loneliness and separation and darkness you'll never put your eyes on another person again. You might hear them, but you'll never see anybody again. You'll never be touched by anybody again. Your dad who used to call you and tell you he loved you will never dial that phone again. Your mother who gave you a picture to remember her by, that picture will never be there again. You used to get letters from your spouse. You'll get no more letters from her or him. Old friends used to come by and visit with you. There'll be no friends coming that day. Family reunions, you won't be invited. Those who perish in this place will be alone forever. Heartsick and homesick, you'll shed tears, but nobody will ever drive them. I've painted us a pretty bleak picture. But I don't apologize for preaching this, though I don't enjoy preaching. But we need to hear this. Because this is the truth that's being eroded away. And we need to make sure that our foundation is solid on all the doctrines of the faith, not just those that are pleasant, but those who are not so pleasant. But I want to close by some good news. I like stories with a happy ending. And the happy ending to this story is this. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world. He became the final Passover Lamb. He became the Lamb that would fully freely and forever die for the sins of the world. On that cross, He paid for your sin. He paid for my sin. He paid for the price of forgiveness. He paid for the price of washing and cleansing. He paid for the price of giving us a new life. He paid for the price of heaven. It cost God everything. It cost Jesus everything, but it cost us nothing. And on that cross shed his blood and he died. That Jim Palmer, who deserved hell, could be gifted heaven. That you, who deserved hell, could be gifted heaven. That you, who believed and received, could have eternal life and have the right to be called the sons and daughters of God. Theologians com- make things complex. Let me simplify things for you. I'm a simple-minded person. Some of you would say simple-minded person too. This morning, God wants to save you if you're not saved. The devil wants to damn you if you're not saved. And you're going to cast a vote this morning. Who's going to get you? God says, I'm for you. I've done all I can do. The devil says, I'm against you. I'm going to continue doing everything I can do to keep you from over here. One vote for you, one vote against you. You will cast the deciding vote. Where you spend eternity is your choice. What is your choice? Have you given your life to Jesus? Or have you not? You say, I've given my life to the church. That's not good enough. I've given my life to baptism. That's not good enough. Have you given your life to Jesus? Because when one day, when we stand before Him, that's all that's going to matter. What did we do with Jesus? Because that's what He's going to do with us. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed.